Hello everybody, thanks for tuning in online. Uh, my name is David Stockton, I'm the lead pastor at Living Streams Church, and I just wanted to give you an update on some of the things happening around here. 2019 was just an awesome year for us. We got to really see some of the things we were hoping to see happen, which is always fun. Um, we really focused on trying to strengthen families this year, as the family dynamic is something that God created and, and there's so much good that can happen when family is done right. We also got to launch life groups as a part of that endeavor where we have people opening up their homes and kind of having church around a table in smaller contexts during the week. And we had almost 400 people participate in that and a lot of them are still continuing on. We're really excited about the opportunities those life groups bring for further ministry, further teaching and education and discipleship, and just true community and friendship as well. In 2020, um, we already have a lot of ideas and a lot of vision that we've been paring down and are ready to run. We're really chomping at the bit in a lot of ways to get there. And, and what we want to do is we want to continue to push forward on our missions hopes. We want to be a sending church where we send out 50 long-term missionaries by 2025. And as, as this video airs, we'll have already probably prayed and sent out for uh, nine of them and, uh, and are continuing to meet with people who are saying they're feeling stirred in that way as well. So that's been exciting. We're also gonna try and launch some evangelistic endeavors next year. Um, we really feel like the Lord's calling us that way to educate ourselves, to, to teach ourselves, and then to stir up the courage and the boldness to go ahead and, and invite people to come into the church or reaching out to places where we know people are not living with the light and the warmth of Christ. Um, so we're gonna be challenged a little bit in a good way, but we know it's really near and dear to our Lord's heart that we do that. So really what we're asking is that you would consider at this time continuing to participate with us and, and even potentially giving to Living Streams, whether it's a year-end gift or whether we're going into 2020. Um, the, the giving that you do really does help fuel the ministry here. And we always wanna make sure that you're able to give cheerfully. Second Corinthians chapter six is real clear that we are supposed to, to give cheerfully and uh, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. So we've said it before and we'll keep saying it that if cheerfulness is not really what's in your heart as you see, seek to give, um, then you can just hold off for, for a season and, and wait till that stirs up because that is what the Lord wants. That's the gifts that He loves. So if you can have joy and abundance in your heart and, and you really do believe in the ministry of Living Streams or maybe I've been able to experience um, some goodness from the ministry of Living Streams, we'd love for you to give as we continue to try and put God's glory on display, build courageous people and engage in society's pain both here in Phoenix and around the world. God bless you. Good morning, good morning. You are highly favored of the Lord. You are beloved of God. You believe it? Yeah, some people do. It's a hard one to believe sometimes, but it's true. God is not indifferent to you. His emotions, his sensations, his feelings rise and fall based on your interaction with him. He's tied himself to you, which is so amazing and so bizarre and yet so wonderful as well. Um, well, we're going through our Advent series. This is our last stop on a Sunday before Christmas Eve service, two more days. And uh, we've been going through the, the traditional Christian um, you know, process of Advent where we celebrate the coming of joy, the coming of peace, the coming of hope. And today we're going to spend time seeing what, what, what love God has for us. And I brought a, a, a shorter uh, helper today than, than before. This is my daughter, Eva. 
And uh, she's going to read our passage on love. So if you guys would stand with us as we read the word of God and, and uh, hear about the, the love of God through this scripture. And then we'll be lighting the candles of Advent um, as we've been doing. And then we'll go ahead and do a responsive reading as well after that. You ready, Eva? All right, I'm going to stand over here because she's a little nervous. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble and calamity? Or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor fear, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. Mm -hmm. Good job. <laughs> we light the candles of Advent to remember that God's voice lights up the darkness. Great job, Eva. All right, well, now we're going to do a bit of responsive reading. First service was so mellow. And I mean, we did joy, we did peace, we did hope, love. I don't know exactly what you're supposed to do, um, how you express that in this, in this situation. But, um, but yeah, mellow might have been the right thing. I don't know. But we're going to read through these things. You're going to read the underlined part. And uh, I'm going to read the first part. We light love's candle. We light love's candle. We light love's candle. We light love's candle. And we light love's candle. Amen. You can have a seat. Yes, so we're talking about love. Love, love, love. Love, according to Dallas Willard, who I think does a good job of summing up biblical, theological definitions of those type of words. He says love really comes down to this. It's to will the good of another. It's not a feeling. It's not something magical that happens. Um, it's a decision. It's an action. It's to will the good of another. And yes, there can be feelings and attraction and chemistry and all these things that happen that get us to that point where we want to will the good of another, where you just want to see this person happy. You want to, to see this person filled with joy. You want to see this person getting what they want and all those things. But what's crazy 
is that to truly love someone, to truly consistently will the good of that person over the long haul is extremely difficult. Amen? Amen? You got to whisper it if you're sitting next to your spouse or something. Amen. You know, amen, amen, amen. <laughs> it's very difficult if we're honest. With our wedding vows, we promise to love our spouse till our final breath, but then we see many people still breathing but no longer loving. When, we, when our children are born, we say we will love them forever, but then they grow up and uh, develop challenging personalities, let's say. And the loving becomes very difficult and hard and can even become heartbreaking. We grow up with our sandlot friends that we could never imagine life without, but then the windy peppercorns come and the squad is now a distant memory. <laughs> Anybody a sandlot fan? There, 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 there. <laughs> yes! It worked. First service was like, oh. um, One of my favorite writers, John Foreman, he writes, we fall in love and then the rains come and only part of us survives. And I remember reading that to a friend of mine in Belize one time and uh, he just went, hmm, as the words fell on his soul. Often our attempts at love falter and our hearts become broken. And when not treated properly, our hearts begin to turn inward and hard, which makes love even harder to give and harder to receive. According to C.S. Lewis, who has such a great way of putting words together that kind of go, boom, in your own soul, he says we end up with the people that we used to will the good of. We now cherish feelings of vindictive resentment against them might start small, but sometimes it grows. We also used to will the good of this person, and now we start to gloat over their misery. There begins a twinge of kind of joy when you think of their struggle or challenge. The person that we used to will the good of, now we even find ourselves raging against any happiness that might come their way. And this is our human love. This is our heart. And if we're honest, this is all of us. This is what we're capable of. No matter how hard we humans try to love, our best efforts fall short because the only love we can create is human love. And human love wears many disguises, but it's always selfish. It's always temporal. It's intensely conditional. And it is unable to satisfy the longing we all have for true love, which the Bible describes as divine love. Fight it all you want, but your heart, my heart, your heart, which was given to you by God, will never find what it's looking for until it is hit with divine love, with the love of God. Our culture, for years and years, has all been able to sing this, the song Johnny Lee taught us. I was looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in too many faces. Searching her eyes, looking for traces of what I'm dreaming of. Hoping to find a friend and a lover. All blessed the day that I discover another heart looking for love. And that love that our hearts are looking for is divine love. But here is the crazy good news. 
Here's the gospel. Here's the wonder of Christmas. Here's the wonder of the Bible. Here's the wonder of Christianity. God did not put the longing for divine love in your heart because he's cruel, (laughs) because he's just a big jerk, because he wanted to really inspire some great songs like Looking for Love. That's not why he put it there. He put that craving, that longing in your heart so that you would turn to him, so that you would find his love. There's nothing in this world that could even come close with experiencing the genuine love of God. When I was in junior high, I first got hit by the love of God. I was a junior higher. I went to a Christian school. I was surrounded by Christians. I was surrounded by Christian education where they taught us about God and his love. I was surrounded with Christian activities, and yet I never experienced the love of God. I'd experienced human love, and, and, and my story is actually a story of pretty positive in that regard. I had a mom and dad who did a good job of human love. I had brothers that weren't as good. And uh, part of their love for me was to make sure I never did anything stupid. And uh, yeah, they would teach me lessons all the time. <laughs> um, but that, that, I experienced a lot of good human love, but I'd never experienced the love of God. And in this one chapel, there was a speaker. I don't remember anything he said. Um, I just remember at the end of the time, he said that we should all take a minute. We should close our eyes. We should try and forget about the windy peppercorns and whoever else might be around us. And we should ask God to come into our life and let us know his love. And I was just a naive, simple, selfish junior higher. And yet for whatever reason I did. And in this moment, can take it or leave it. I could be making it up or not. But it was a time where I, I felt like my heart was strangely warmed, as Jonathan Edwards would write. I experienced the love of God. I turned towards God to see what might be there for one of the first times of my own volition. I turned towards this God, and I was so surprised to find him there standing at the ready, like he'd been waiting there my whole life. And I experienced the love of God. And then chapel was over, and I was just as naive, and I was just as selfish, and I was just as, you know, not concerned about the things of God, and I was right back into my junior high life. But he string enough of those together, and that's where I'm standing right here today, wanting to tell you about the love of God, whether you already know it or not. There's just nothing better in this life than the love of God. The psalmist would write, your love is better than life. And many of you are here because you also have that same string of experiences with the love of God that have brought you to this moment. But the New Testament, which is what we we read about, we learn about the love of God from, the New Testament was written in Greek, Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and we did Hebrew last week, right? You know, we got our Hebrew on. So now we got our Greek. In Greek, there's four different words for, the, for, for our word love. You know, our word love is just vast and it kind of encompasses a lot of things. I love chocolate cake. I love my mom. But you don't want to eat them both. 
you know, right? So, I mean, our love is kind of, it's vast. And in Greek, they, they, they boiled it down to four loves. And, and the words that they use for love um, in the New Testament is storge, phileo, phileos, eros, and agape, or agape. Um, so storge, phileo, and eros would be what C.S. Lewis and rightfully would, would call human loves. These are the loves that we can muster. These are the loves that you experience, you know, day in and day out. The love of, of, of family, like a mother to a child. The love of friendship, the, the, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ or, or just people that you work with where it's just kind of some sort of filial love. And then eros, which is this kind of sexual, passionate love, romantic love. We can muster those things, man. We, those things can show up in a minute. Those things can show up in any situation. And, and, and yet, the challenge that we all have is they go out just as fast as they come in. And those human loves are so limited, the tank of those loves, we, we can get to the bottom of that tank really easily, really quickly. And so we have sociological statistics of parents forsaking their children for drugs, for alcohol, for whatever else they might love. We have people that were so close in friendship or business, now bitter enemies. And we have statistics about marriage that break our hearts, let alone the heart of our Father in heaven. Because our human love is so impotent against the realities of life. And so there is this other love that the Bible talks about, which is agape, or agape. I don't know which one it is. That's why I say them both over, and it's like an insecurity thing. So let's say both of them. So first of all, say with me, agape. Agape. Now say, agape. There you go. So now you can say either one. If somebody's like, looks at you sideways, switch the other one real quick. Then be like, no, I was just seeing if you kind of were up to speed. You know, some people use it this way, some people use it this way. So whatever. I'm not Greek. It's all Greek to me, right? Um, but this love is the love of God. It's pure love. It's selfless and sacrificial. It's the love that the New Testament is trying to teach us about. It's the love expressed in Christ. It's the love of the Trinitarian community before we even begin. It's actually the whole reason we exist. The Trinitarian community, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, perfect, harmonious love. But love has to create. Love has to give. Love has to be selfless. And so this creation, out of this abundance of love, humanity and creation was created as objects of this love. And yes, it's been broken. We're disconnected. But the whole prayer of Jesus in John 17 is that we would be able to find our way back into this love, this Eden-like love that Adam and Eve experienced before the fall came, before the shadows came, before sin came. This is the love of God. This is agape. We've got verses that teach us about this. 1 John 4.10 says this. This is agape. 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 I don't know what to say. This is love. This is the love of God. This is the love that your heart craves. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The love, this is love, sacrificial and selfless. God, who has every right to be selfish, who has every right to demand everyone else be sacrificial, does not love in that way. God himself loves sacrificially, selflessly. And we have so many stories 
recorded in the scriptures about that. Next, 1 John 3, 1. See what great agape the Father has lavished on us that we would be called the children of God, that we are invited into his family, to his table. We can go and sit on his lap anytime. We have these foster boys living with us, and it's so interesting to watch my girls just run and dive into my lap like I'm a giant swimming pool. And then these boys, when they want to sit on my lap, they kind of come up timidly, unsure, kind of stick a toe in, and then I push them away. No, I don't do that. <laughs> so, sometimes I might, but not. And then they kind of come in in a different way. Do you understand what I'm saying? But the love of God wants us to dive, jump, run, splash, whatever it might be. He is not indifferent to you. You are his beloved. Beloved. You might have never experienced human love in a way that helps you understand what it means to be beloved. So it takes a little more faith maybe. A little more stretch. But you are God's beloved. You are his child. You have access to his lap any and every time you want. This is agape. First John, uh, oh sorry, Romans 5.5 5 tells us a little bit about how we can access the love of God. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. And this is so important for us to remember. The only way that any of us could ever experience agape, divine love, is if somehow it made our way into our world from outside of our world. That's what the love of God is so amazing and so hard and so difficult to grasp because it's otherworldly. It's supernatural. And his love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Those who have received the Holy Spirit have received the agape of God, both so that your heart can be healed, but also then that you can extend that into your relationships around. 1 John 4, uh, 7 also tells us something different about God and, and agape. It says God is agape. God is love. Now, it's important to not switch those around because our society oftentimes would say love is what everybody needs. Love is the most important. Love is God. That's not at all true. But God is love, is true. God, who could be whatever he wants towards us. God, who we are basically just trying to begin to understand. And the only way we could understand is if there was a revelation, if he revealed himself to us. But time and time and time again, the way God is revealed to us is he is a God of love, of pure, selfless, sacrificial love. I think of Moses. Moses was trying to figure out who this God is, right? He's out in the wilderness. He's killed a guy. He's 80 years old. His life's amounted to nothing. He's got all these passions that are unrealized, all these longings that have never been fulfilled. And he's out there with some sheep, taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. Father-in-law, yeah. And all of a sudden, he sees a little bush burning, right? And yet, it's not consumed. So he checks out the bush, and this voice speaks to him out of the bush. There's a little tiny bush on fire, and it says, Moses, I'm a really big-time God. And Moses is like, you're like a little bush God. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And he grew up, remember, with the gods of Egypt, which are not little bush gods. I mean, these are like the greatest gods and proven by Egypt being the greatest world power. And now there's this little tiny bush god claiming to be super god. He's like, I want you to go and get the people away from those Egypt and all their gods. Moses is like, you're crazy. You don't even understand. And yet, somehow in this interaction, Moses says, all right, I'll go. And he says, but what is your name? And he says, my name is I Am. So a tiny little bush god with a super vague name, I Am. That's all Moses knew at that point. Then you know the story. Moses goes into Egypt, plague after plague after plague. Basically, God shows his power and authority over all the gods of Egypt, the Nile, all of that. And then they, people actually get freed up, and they're coming into the, prom, or to, into the wilderness, and they're going, and they are in this tight situation. And Moses says, uh, little bush god, where are you? And the little bush god says, stand still. And put your hope in me and see my salvation. And Moses is like, I don't have a lot of options. <laughs> okay. So he stands still in between two cliffs, a Red Sea and an Egyptian army coming after him. And the sea opens up and they go across and then the sea closes on the Egyptian army. And they continue on. And as they go to this one mountain called Mount Sinai, all of a sudden this tiny little bush god is now consuming the entire mountain in fire. And Moses hears the voice of the Lord call out to all the people, come up here. And all the people are like, no way. <laughs> Moses, you go for us, which is a very sad thing because God loves everyone. He's not indifferent to anyone. And yet Moses was the only one willing to go up into that fire. And there he was for 40 days and 40 nights without food, completely satisfied by the presence of God. And then he has the audacity at one point to say, God, can I see you? Like, I, I saw you burning bush. I saw you, I am. It all feels a little vague. He's saying, my heart is craving deeper intimacy with you. He's saying, actually, he says in Exodus 34, or 33, I don't even care if we go to the promised land. Your presence is all we want. Like, the, the hope that I had is gone. It's you now. Your presence. Don't send us if you're not going with us. And God's like, I'm going to go with you. And then Moses says, don't send us if you're not going with us. God says, I will go with you. Moses says, come on, God, please, don't send. Literally, that's the way Exodus 33 is. And you're like, Moses, he's just said it two times already. But then after the end, Moses is like, okay. And you can see why he was stalling, why he was having trouble. Because he asked this question. He says, God, can I see you? He says, show me your glory. The word glory in Hebrew, chabad substance. God, can I see your substance? Can I know you in a deeper way? I don't want to know you as a bush God or a fiery mountain God. I want to know who you really are. I don't want to know you as a vague I am. I want to know the substance of your character. And in Exodus 34, this really special thing happens. God says, okay. He says, you can't see my face. It's not going to be pretty for you. It'll be bad in every way. But that's also so interesting because the promise that we have in the New Testament is that when we die, we'll receive a glorified body and we'll get to see Jesus face to face, something Moses didn't even get to see. But anyways, in that moment, the, 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 the face of God is hidden. Uh, Moses is hidden in a rock. God passes before him. Moses is able to see his back, so to speak. And then a voice cries out and declares the more full name of God. The Lord, the Lord, full of compassion 
abounding in love and faithfulness. Abounding in love and faithfulness. It's who he is. When you see the substance of who he is, it's love. God is agape. And we've been talking about this with all of these things. The joy that, that we find, if we're low on joy, if we're kind of not, not working out with the human aspect of joy, we need the supernatural joy. And we're told that in God's presence is the fullness of joy. He's the most joyous being there is. And his joy somehow translates into our strength to endure the struggles that we have so that we can even have joy in the pain. That's how supernatural his joy is. And then the peace. He's the prince of peace. When you come into the presence of God, what you experience is peace. He's the one that decides where peace comes and goes. He is the authority over all peace. And the peace that he gives is not like the world gives, he said. The peace of God is something that actually, when it comes, it restores your soul and it guards against all of the things that would steal your peace. It's not like the Netflix peace, you know. Just the brain numb checkout. It's not like the alcohol piece. It actually restores your soul, heals your soul, and sets up a barrier around you to protect you from the things that would come and steal your peace. It's supernatural peace. It's only found in his presence. And then you've got the hope we talked about last week, the kavah. <laughs> the hope that God brings. He is a God of hope, Romans 15 says. God has hope. He's overflowing with hope. What is God's hope? Because hope is the expectation of coming good. God's hope is that you'll turn to him, that all his children will come home. What was the hope that Jesus experienced on the cross, the joy that was set before him, the thing that he was anticipating? It was that we would all be together. We would all get to experience all the hope he has for us, all the good things he has in store for us. And if we come into his presence, the God of hope, we will begin to overflow with hope and be able to anticipate good even when impeachments are going on. I do want to commend all of you real quick. I've been thinking about the impeachment and like, you know, abuse of power by Trump or abuse of power by the Democrats or abuse of power by the Republicans or maybe all of them. <laughs> and I was thinking, Lord, what do we do in light of all of this? And I was thinking about Philippians 4, 8, which says, whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is trustworthy, whatever is pleasing, whatever is honorable, think on these things and the peace of God will be with you. And so well done, everybody. I think that's exactly what we're here to do this morning, is to set our sights on something that's beautiful. And each day God can lead us through the daily routine, but remember to think on what is beautiful. And it's not necessarily on CNN or Fox News, just in case you were confused about that. It's not really where you're gonna find a lot of that stuff. Or on Facebook, right? Yikes. Yikes, yikes, yikes. So all of this love that we've been expressing, all of this supernatural love, the only way we could know it and experience it is it came from outside. And sure enough, we celebrate Christmas because God, in all of his fullness and abounding love and faithfulness, put himself into the body of a little baby and was born into our world and walked among us 
and showed us what agape with a body on would look like. And I just have a couple things. Obviously, you can read the gospel and find about, about Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. There's countless examples of what love would look like. And we're going to spend a lot of time looking at that next year. But a couple things that are really stood out to me as remarkable is that he touched lepers. Leprosy was something in that society in that day and age that was basically an incurable disease and that if anyone touched them or came in any kind of contact with them, it was contagious. And we know that's not true now, but they didn't know that. And so to get leprosy was basically a living death sentence where you were now outcast. You were not allowed to be around your family, not because of the rule, but because if you did, you would give them leprosy. So now your spouse, your kids, you could never come in contact with any of them again. And yet Jesus had lepers come to him, come close to him, and he would touch them. He would spend time with them. And yes, he would heal them, which is amazing. But the wild thing to those around him, and the reason they recorded it was because Jesus would walk right up to them and be with them. It was such an amazing demonstration of the love of God, selfless and sacrificial. On the cross, we know that Jesus was there on that cross going through his greatest trial, his greatest pain, he was suffering the wrath of humanity, literally, and he was suffering the wrath of God upon sin, all of our sins. And there in that moment, so filled with agape, this selfless and sacrificial love, he turns to this person on the cross next to him and says, hey, I notice something happened in you, and, and I notice the faith that is there, and I want to tell you, you're going to be with me in paradise today. He pronounces a blessing to the thief next to him. And he looks down at those who put nails in his hands, nails in his feet, that have whipped his back, pressed thorns into his head, ripped out his beard, punched him and spit upon him and ridiculed him. And that heart full of agape is able to look at them and say, Father, forgive them. They just don't know what they're doing. Father, I love them. Please don't hold this against them. And we have this, this concept that we can talk about and we can say, but it is so far away. It's enemy love. And Jesus taught us that we're to love our enemies. We're to show agape towards our enemies. And I'm sure those in Israel's day who were dealing with government's very, very, very more troubling than ours. That you're to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And maybe even more amazingly enough than Jesus actually showing this agape was that his love was so powerful and palpable, his followers empowered with the Spirit of God, with the love poured into their hearts by the Holy Spirit, they became people of love also. People that were strapped 
to the slavery of human love, were actually able to experience agape. They touched lepers and made them clean. And sometimes just touched the lepers and cared for them without seeing healing come. They forgave those who persecuted and killed them. There's a story in the book of Acts about Stephen who's sitting there and he's just shared the love of God with all these religious leaders and in their anger, their religious anger, they begin to pick up stones and throw them at him. And they keep throwing them and they keep throwing them and keep throwing them until no longer is he upright, no longer is he conscious, no longer is he breathing. They keep throwing stones at him until he's dead. And in the face of all of that rage and hate, Stephen, before he dies, says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Agape. Agape. That's what agape is. And I love, because what C.S. Lewis talks about is he says these three human loves. It's not that we're supposed to put those aside and we're just supposed to have this like agape. He says, no, what happens is in our human loves, in our friendships, in our families, in our, in our um, passionate relationships, our, our marriages, what happens is that when we access the agape of God, it comes and it infuses these loves with something divine. Somehow these human loves, our friendships, can be infused with the love of God and become strong enough for whatever life might bring. And, and in our marriages and in our, and in our families, this, this love of God, this agape, we need it to come and infuse our loves when times get tough so that we can continue to will the good of another. And if we don't, they will fail. And a picture in the book of Ecclesiastes about this is the three-strand cord. I don't know if you've heard it at a wedding or whatever, but it basically says a two-fold cord is easy to break, but a three-fold cord, you know, can't be broken. And it's this concept of, of when we bring our human together in a marriage or a friendship or whatever it might be, it can only take so much tension, right, until it snaps. And we have sociological statistics, <laughs> But what God is trying to do is he's trying to help us become people of divine love, which is only possible through our relationship with him. But then it adds this other chord, this divine love. And now it's not so easily broken. And in times of Brittany and I's marriage where it's been hard or challenging, This last year, having our foster boys and the love we've been pouring, it's been the toughest year by far in our house. And I had this picture of, of this cord that was holding us together as I was crying out to the Lord saying, Lord, what is going on? And I could almost just have this picture of me at times just chopping at the cord, which is weird, but it's true. My own selfishness, my own hurts coming to the surface and I start chopping at the cord or than Brittany does, or our kids, whatever it might be. And yet I felt like after all of this craze, all this chopping, all this, the, there was not even a sign of wear at all. Because it was been infused with the love of God. And I felt like that was a promise that God was giving me. 
And it's been 15 years. We've got a long way to go. And some of you might be looking at me and be like, oh, yeah, I remember that cute 15-year mark. Piddly, man, piddly. And I, I don't doubt that. But that's what I'm holding on to, is that my love would falter. It would have faltered a long time ago. But I'm going to rely on this love of God, and I think it might carry us through. And God's love is there, ready for each of us at any time. To will the good of another, to, to turn towards each other. And I think that's really when it comes the most. This is how we're concluding. I, I just was thinking about those times. Remember when I was a junior higher and I turned towards the love of God, towards God for the first time, and actually found he was there ready. He knew like everything about me. It was just like this moment of opening a present where you're like, that's meaningful in about 47 different ways. It's like if I buy my wife a kombucha. I come home and give that to her, and she's just like, you know me. You know? It's like, well, yeah, I know you like these, but it just means so much more to her for some reason. And there's been these times as, we, as I turn in love towards others, and I, and I turn this way, the love of God comes. I remember being at a men's retreat, standing next to a friend of mine. And we're at a men's retreat, so you know we're not, nobody's touching And, and then when someone next to you is singing low, you're like, sing a little lower than them. Just try, you know, just some of that subtlety going on. It's like as soon as this church thing's over, I'm going to shoot you with a bow and arrow or something. But I remember there, in this time, it was, like, it was like, I just said, okay, Lord, what are you, what are you thinking about? I want to know your thoughts. And, and, I, and I felt like God was telling me what I'm thinking about the person next to you and I want you to share some things with them and I was like okay well this is a men's retreat you don't do that stuff no but I, I was like okay and then I remember he started telling me some things that I was supposed to share with him and and I was like okay and and I turned and I was like hey man I want to share some things with you and and I started to to share some things with him that the Lord was saying and as I was sharing them I just got gripped with the love of God and I started just like <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry, man, this is weird. I don't. And then he started crying. We were both just crying right in the middle of a men's retreat. Because the love of God just hurt. As I turned towards this, my brother, it's like the love of God showed up in such an amazing way. And as my words were able to turn him towards the face of God, he was able to experience the love of God. And on and on and on, I could tell you stories after stories. I could tell you so many stories about when I turned from Phoenix and took my family down to Belize. And we would be in seriously uncertain situations, feeling like maybe this was just all made up and wrong. And then there would be a moment where something would happen and all of a sudden we would be like, wow, God is here. And he loves us and he's paying attention to us. And there's just been a string of so many of those things over my life. That's why I'm standing here to try and tell you about the love of God. And most of you in this room, you can put the strings together and say, there's no doubt in my mind God loves me. I might not be feeling it right now, but there's no doubt in my mind that it's coming around the corner any minute. And I want to close with what my daughter read. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. 
who agapes us. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your love that has been poured out to us. And Lord, I pray that you really would infuse our human loves with your love. Lord, we need you. We're lost without you. And yet you're abounding in love. As we're kind of in this moment of quiet, I just want to ask if there's some people in this room that haven't ever really turned to, to God and found his love. And if today you're really well, willing to do that, to turn away from the false loves, the self-love, and to turn to him and ask him in all honesty if he would pour his love into your heart. You can do that today. You can do that right now. Just say, Jesus, I need your love. Please fill me with your love. And we're promised in the scriptures that if we seek him, we will find him. If we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. Lord Jesus, come. And just as a, a moment of kind of response, is there, with the heads bowed and eyes closed, is there anyone in this room who, could, who wants to just raise their hand and say, I really do need to be infused with God's love. My love is failing. My lo heart is cold. And I really need to receive. And we're not going to embarrass you. Just, just as an act of faith, you can raise your hand and say, Jesus, look at me. Notice me and send me your love. Go ahead and raise those hands up. Just as if you're reaching out to God. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. You see each heart and you know each mind. And Lord, I pray that you really would come with your love. That once again you'd pour it out. And there would be a time today or this week where the person that raised their hand would just go, ha, there it is and they would be overwhelmed with your love. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you guys stand with me as we close in a song? Just once again, rejoicing and remembering the love of God. And if you'd like prayer for anything, you could come on up. We'll have people up front. They'd love to pray with you.